Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, John Schwab here from Curtain Call, and welcome to episode 102 of the Curtain Call Theater Podcast, the podcast that brings you backstage as close as you possibly can be, often while the shows are actually happening, to meet the people that make that theater happen. You can find all our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other fine podcast streaming services. And if you have a spare 30 seconds, please rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you use to help us be more discoverable to listeners who haven't heard about us yet. And now for this week's podcast. Bohemian Rhapsody, the new Freddie Mercury biopic, has recently been released, and although it has divided the critics with a few dissenters, it has been a huge hit with audiences across the globe. Much of the praise heaped on the film has been pointed towards Rami Malek's performance of the Queen frontman. Richard Brody of The New Yorker says Malek does an impressive job of recreating Mercury's moves on stage. And the Rolling Stones' Peter Travers wrote, There is only praise to heap on Rami Malek, whose tour de force performance as Freddie Mercury will definitely rock you. Why? I can hear you uh, all asking, am I talking about a movie, if you live in America, or film, if you live anywhere else, uh, on the Curtain Call Theater podcast? That's because Malick's transformation into Mercury would not have been possible without the help of one Polly Bennett, movement director. Malick says as much in many of his interviews given to the world's media. Uh, without Polly taking him through the whys of Mercury's movement, the what's wouldn't be as strong. You may have heard Polly a few times from previous podcasts when we brought you chats from the company she co-founded, The Monobox. In addition to being a superwoman running a business that supports artists, she has also worked with the RSC before going on to work at multiple Olympic ceremonies and also with top-notch crossover directors like Sam Mendes, who she worked with recently, uh, directly after Bohemian Rhapsody, on the absolutely thrilling Layman Trilogy at the National Theatre, one of my highlights of the year. In this chit-chat, Curtain Call's Theo Bosenquet and Curtain Call co-founder Matt Humphrey sat down in a sometimes noisy Above the Arts Club to talk to Polly about how she found herself as the go-to movement director. Now, as this chat was nearly an hour, we're going to make this one a a two-parter. So, uh, in this first part, Polly brings us the story of her journey from the National Youth Theater to being on set every day with a spitting image of Freddie Mercury. Have a listen. So, Polly Bennett, <laughs> movement director, choreographer, Monobox founder, extraordinaire. Um, it is really good of you to give up some time to talk to Curtain Call because this is uh, a very busy period for you, um, which we will come on to. You've got a few projects on the boil at the moment, or about to come to the boil, or sort of, you know, at various stages um, of um, fruition. So, um, we'll talk about some of those. But I think to kick things off, it would be quite nice to rewind a little bit to the beginnings of your um, career in movement and how you got started and what sort of inspired you to get into this field. Gosh, what a nice question. It's always nice to think about where you've, where you've come from and nobody really asks at this, this point as well, which is quite um, lovely to even start lingering in my brain. Um, so I guess like there's... Um, I, I could say I've always been a movement director. 
um, which is a nice sort of wanky theatre thing to say. But I think if I think about when I was a kid, I was sort of always doing a version of what I've, I'm doing now. And um, I started listening to that sort of physical voice um, when I started at the National Youth Theatre. And I sort of became the 15-year-old that started doing the physical warm-ups for everybody. And I didn't offer that. It was sort of asked of me. And and I think that's something that's kind of continued in everything that I've done, where people sort of say, you'd be quite good at this, or maybe you should think about doing this. And I've kind of gone, oh, all right, yeah, fine. I'll, 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 I'll listen to you. You sound like you know what you're talking about. And um, so I, I danced when I was a kid, and I was, um, you know that was sort of a love and I loved the feeling of dancing but I also had a thing in me where I didn't always enjoy being the way I was taught I think and I was always a little bit discerning about uh, how I was taught and and how I was made to feel Um, and you know I wasn't I, I definitely wasn't prima ballerina material but I definitely had a huge love of moving and when I was told, you need to do that better, I found that very hard. Um, and I cried a lot in dance classes because I was made to feel like I was doing something wrong. So I think naturally I then sort of developed a thing of how do I make other people feel good about doing the thing that I love doing? So I think at MIT I was suddenly given that opportunity um, and, I, you know, as I say, started doing warm-ups or I'd make suggestions to the director oh wouldn't it be better if we came in and uh, you know we moved around that way rather than just did that and and those directors started listening to me um and then I went to university I I, you know I auditioned for drama school and I actually got a place at drama school and then uh, to do acting um and something in it didn't quite feel right so I ended up going to Edinburgh University and I did History of Art, which was a subject that, you know, from my sort of um, uh, state school education wasn't part of my life. And my parents were a bit like, what? History of Art? What even is that? Um, But actually, as it transpired, doing a four-year course in one of the most theatrical cities in the world um, meant that I was sort of at the same time studying pictures and how how story is told and shape and composition and um, narrative and understanding why things are the way they are at the same time as choreographing West Side Story when I was 18 or um, directing a fashion show and, and learning how to make people that are incredibly beautiful and can wear clothes very well um, feel better about how they deliver themselves on, on a stage. And that sort of was cooking whilst also doing big National Youth Theatre projects in the summer holidays. And then I worked in television when I came out of university. And I sort of became, uh, again, it landed upon me where people said, oh, you'd be good at helping that person be better at doing that thing they're doing in this advert. And I um, sort of stepped up to the fore quite a lot and suggested how models or, or actors could could make things better and then it was quite clear to me that I wasn't quite just a TV producer um, or a production assistant then and um, I started listening a little bit more to that thing in me that was or, or to other people saying maybe this is what you should do and I ended up um, 
approaching my parents and saying I'm going to go and do a master's in movement of which they were very confused considering I'd just done a master's in history of art my dad kept going why are you do- you're already a master you don't need to be another master but I felt like I needed some sort of time or um sense of approval from somewhere that this is actually something that I could do properly and uh, so I went to Central, now Royal Central School of Speech and Drama and uh, I did a one year movement studies masters um, which provided me with the time to again clue into the things that I knew, the stuff that I had for free and actually work out a way to make something of those things and not ignore them as as just a, a sideline uh, skill or um, passion that it actually could be something that I actually had a, something to give other people so it's a kind of weird trickly route to being a movement director but my sort of love of um, seeing people in paintings and seeing people do things with love and and better for themselves sort of um, came out through that course and I was like right I'm, I feel like I'm in the right place now um, You had uh, a long spell with the RSC um, was that was being able to develop your practice within the framework of an organisation like that was that fairly crucial for you at that stage? Yeah I, I mean I um, so this was when the the RSC had a, a movement department, um, which now lo- now no longer exists, um, which I can wax lyrical about in a, in, a, in another way later, I'm sure. But um, I so I came out of my masters at, and was very set on the movement directing side of things. And when I was asked to teach, you know, I went and taught at Rose Bruford for a bit and I I was asked to do workshops and I was a bit like, oh, I'm not too sure about how how to do these things. Um, And then after doing the Olympics, I worked on the opening ceremony of the Olympics. I'd done big sort of mass scale movement directing and actually being asked to come and assist Struan Leslie, who was then the head of movement of the RSC, enabled me to to really get to the nuts and bolts of actor training and what actors need. And I think there is a a fear um, that movement within a building, uh, it becomes, um, you know, it provides a stamp or it it sets people's bodies in a certain way. But actually just having the presence of a movement department at that time, I could see how much the actors got from having those from having us around and I got to spend time reading books about anatomy and learning how to teach Pilates and understanding that yoga wasn't just a thing that you know you could do for yourself that there was something um that really helps an actor reset their body and understand their body and make better bolder choices when they're in a rehearsal room so it, again, it's a kind of it, the RSC was sort of another part of the wiggly route. I got to see a completely different way into to working with actors, um, and spent time both in rehearsal rooms watching other people work, um, and having opinions of how other people work. I think, which is which is um, honest, um, and and taking and learning what I needed to do for myself to be a better teacher. 
and, and to understand that there is a part of movement direction which is teaching that I was sort of resisting, I think. Um, I'd like to zoom in on that um, uh, little project you mentioned there, the Olympics yeah. opening ceremony, which uh, <laughs> I can only imagine was uh, quite a, well, mind-blowing thing to be involved with. Tell mm. us a bit about how that came about and the experience you had on that project. I became so interested in at the National Youth Theatre about how um, how you can make or how we can enable people to feel part of something um, bigger. Uh, there was a lot of work currently at that time with NYT that was about lots of people doing lots of things at the same time, and it, it, you know I started seeing that as a as a question of like why is this enjoyable. Why, why, why is it that lots of people doing things all at the same time is so gorgeous? Why does it make us feel like that? And I came kind of obsessed with it. And I ended up writing my thesis at the end of my master's about mass movement. And in that process, I managed to write to a couple of people that had have lots of experience on Olympic opening ceremonies or at least big opening ceremonies. And that put me in the mind of a couple of people in the Olympics. Now, I wasn't gunning for a job, um, but then I got suggested. I got rung up and said, would you, would you like to interview? Now, let's also bear in mind that I was 23 at the time, and I w- had to audition to be a, a movement assistant on the Olympic Games with Toby Sedgwick, who you might know as being the movement director um, of Warhorse to name just a tiny show that he's been involved in and um, yeah and I was in a room of incredibly experienced movement um, practitioners people that had taught me on my masters and I was in there and um, and I think because of where I was at in terms of my curiosity uh, it got me the gig so uh and then as part of being in that team, there was 10 of us that were assisting Toby. And we would spend weeks in a, in a massive rehearsal room at Three Mill Studios, dancing around and trying to work out how to do the, the unachievable thing of getting mountains of grass off a, off a um, stadium pitch and, uh, and doing it beautifully and how to engage each and every one of those volunteer performers who have been doctors and, um, you know, dentists and lawyers and mothers and retired during the day and trying to work out a way to engage them practically and socially and with kindness, but also get a job done. And I think that's where I felt the most at home was with lots of people um, standing in front of them and, and making sure I could connect with each and every person. And that then led me to be asked to join another team for the closing ceremony and the Paralympic opening ceremony and closing ceremony and then that took me to Russia where I did the Olympic Games in Russia as well um, so it, it kind of again it's people seeing the way I do things that enables me to get into these strange uh, situations yeah it's really interesting hearing you talk about the feelings that you incur in the people that you're working with but and also how it makes you feel and for somebody for the uninitiated listening to you talking about your work as a movement director 
you might think that your work is purely a mechanical process, but it feels like there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there is there is the risk of it being a mechanical process. And, and for me, there are other movement directors that might not speak about this the way that I do. Um, but I think that's something that I've become very, very aware of in the last year is that uh, a lot of my work is to in- enable people. Um, and that is a word that an actor has told me that I do, or I, or I at least did for him. You enabled me to think I could do this. And um, I think there's an amazing, you know, for everybody in the world, there is a th- there is a thing of we stop ourselves from doing things or we don't believe that we can do things. And I encounter that. I, I you know, I'm lucky enough to be in three different rehearsal rooms at the moment. And every time I go in, I have to see the people that I'm with, and I I can I can think about things behind the scenes I can think about what I'm going to do I can think about what I'd like to achieve with them especially if it's for a particular moment but ultimately it's about seeing the actors in front of you and uh, engaging them in a way that they offer and they are able to deliver and then pouncing on it and making them feel good about it and not sticking something up on top there, there are. I have been in rehearsal rooms where I have felt like I have stuck something on top, and it's felt so far away from me, um, because I. And now it's really important to me that uh, everyone feels like we are all working together in that room to lift their performance, rather than to generate something that we've got an idea about. Um, so yeah, I think there is a, there is definitely a if this is what you meant, I think I think there is a psychological, um, holistic uh, part of being a movement director, which is to be sensitive to the people that you're with. Um, and if I don't feel like I'm being sensitive, then I don't feel like I'm doing my job right. Um, just to sort of focus on, on a particular example, um, recent production you worked on was the Lehman Trilogy for the National, um, which we saw recently... Uh, and is a extraordinary piece of work considering it's um, it's, it's a three-hander essentially that takes place over nearly three and a half hours I think um, and takes place within the confines of one set um, obviously directed by Sam Mendes tell us about your process on that and um, how you worked with Sam how you worked with the actors what you sort of wanted to bring to that production I mean, you get the, the message going, hi, Sam Mendes wants to availability check you for a three-hander with Simon Russell Beale, Adam Godley and Ben Miles. What do you say? Uh, I, I mean, that was a big moment for me um, because of because it's Sam Mendes. And, and, but in meeting him, I could see how much he wanted to... Um, he wanted the best people in the room to make the best work. And 
so the process was never, it, you know, I thought, oh God, I've got to go away and I've got to study more about space. And like, I, I thought I needed to do more work. But actually, I've got to a point where I had to just step back and go, actually, I know stuff. I know stuff and I'll walk into that room and we, I'll see the humans, just like I've said. I just need to see the humans and then we'll know how to work with them. And of course, you're working with three actors that have a wealth of experience and work in lots of different ways and with lots of different people and lots of television, which means um, uh, they've got so much in them already. And this is exactly... This is exactly the the quip, really, is to go, right, you've got all of this. How can we maximise that? And as Devlin made this amazing set, which revolves and turns and has see-through doors and um, had a real flow to it, and so a lot of the work was seeing what Sam wanted um, and, and suggesting, and if... And if we do this, that will happen. And, and he is so clever and so quick and... Um, uh, so prepared that often I was sitting there at the sides being like I've got to get three steps ahead of his brain so that was a new experience because it wasn't necessarily about me coming and going do you know what Sam I've been thinking we need to turn it this way and then that box will be here and this and whatever Um, this will make no sense to anyone that hasn't seen the show but um, uh, he already knew that stuff but I had to be like you know what I've just thought about this thing that's about to happen and if that flower moves there then that box will be here and it's you know you it's like running with racehorses being in that room I was I was so charged up because it was about really really watching and anticipating the beauty of the moments that could come potentially um and and then being able to take each actor away and going, oh, because they have to change character on stage. They, All of them play, you know, I'm going to pluck a number out of the air, but let's say 16 characters each. And um, and going, oh, when you play so-and-so, I wonder if you just wanted to, because they're a workman, maybe you want to use your hands a little bit more, forefront your hands. And adding little kind of suggestions of differentiation enabled... Uh, the actors to to go away from their first instinct, you know, to 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 find a second choice, and then then they just fly because then they're thinking about the physical life of these characters, and um, and and then they bring even more, they bring even more. So it felt like that production became the very best version of what those people could do. There is nothing that I see in that show, and I go, that could be that could be better they could be better at that because of how inclusive that room was and how um how prepared the actors were to receive physical notes um it is an extraordinary production layman and i am a big fan of anything that that sam puts his incredible mind to um including his film work and he is one of several creatives that transcends both theatre and film mediums. And I just wondered whether that interested you and whether... I know you've been working on uh, Bohemian Rhapsody recently and how different an experience that was or whether it was similar and whether you could talk about that. It's interesting because I had wrapped working on Bohemian Rhapsody when I worked with Sam. And there is something 
that I hadn't quite reflected on until I was in that rehearsal room for Lehman Trilogy, which was the way that film directors or directors of photography look at the world and how they see things. And I had been on set every day for Bohemian Rhapsody. There was not one day that I missed um, of a six-month shoot. So even if I wasn't 100% active in the way that I would have been in a rehearsal room, I was sat saturating uh, my brain in, in seeing how people create space and atmosphere on a film set. And it was amazing then to be in a rehearsal room with somebody very, very used to being on a film set that I felt like he wasn't foreign to me, <laughs> which, which maybe a year ago he would have felt. But because I could see him literally, he would, he, you know, step back and look at things. I could see him working out the mechanics of the space. And usually in a rehearsal room, that's what the movement director does or at least my experience of being a movement director. So I could see us both kind of coming at it from a very similar way. Um, so it was interesting. That's why I say I had to be sort of three steps ahead, because it was about... Um, he was he sort of had a similar template for action that I did. So I had to... Which is often the way I say I don't have... I say I had to... I don't know if that's the right turn of phrase, but often I, I sort of refer to being a movement director as, as being a bit of a ninja, as being a bit of a, 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 a chameleon. You, have, you, you find yourself, or I find myself certainly, looking at everyone in the room and working out where the holes of communication are, working out where the holes of um, uh, action are, and working out the best way that I can fill that gap and step into it. And so in the Lehman Trilogy room, that was what I was doing was like, right, well, Sam's already got that covered. So what can I cover? And how can we double prong this attack? Otherwise, there was an opportunity for me to just have sat back and never have offered anything into the room. So um, again, it all just comes to seeing. And that's where, to go back to what we were talking about before, that's where the psychology of it comes in, is that you're going, right, I, I can see that he's got that covered. I don't want to tread on his toes because that's something that he's very familiar with she's like that, he's like that, they're looking at that, so I'm going to look at this and make observations about how everybody is looking at this. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, a, it's a kind of... Um, movement directors very often and this are on the outside of the room and then, quick as a flash, they're right in the heart of it. And... And so a lot of the, you know, the value of being in lots of different rooms is that I get to change and I get to pick up magpie little ways that I've been in the middle and when I've been on the outside and, and assess for myself what the best version of um, my practice is. So now I can be in a room and go, actually, I'm not going to sit at the side of this because it's really important for me to get in with that person because I can see they're struggling. Or I need to get in with this piece of information because if I don't do that, then it's going to be set forever and it's going to be very hard to unpick. So there's a lot of, um, I, you know, I, I know this is on radio, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm opening my hands and widening around. I'm <laughs> giving a big circular kind of motion because sometimes that just explains what a movement director does, which is just hug the whole, whole space and try and... Um, take everyone's goodness and, and filter it. Um, 
Speaking of details, there was a great interview with Rami Malek, who plays Freddie Mercury on the um, Ellen show recently, where he actually gave an insight into your practice. And uh, did if, if you you know haven't seen it, I would definitely suggest looking on YouTube because it's really interesting. And he gives a little demo of how you uh, helped him to find the. Uh, the physicalization of Freddie, and he talks about bubbles going down his back, and then there's this wonderful moment at the end where he sort of serves spaghetti, and it's very, again, very hard to sort of capture um, uh, in in just voice. But it was a really interesting insight into how you sort of provide an actor with, I guess, visual um, cues in order to help them find a character. And I, I just wondered if you could talk a bit more about that process. Where do those where do those images come from? Are they? Do you have a little big bank of them that you God. pull on? Or it is so amazing because, um, I mean, it's worth saying that that video of him on Ellen has his changed quite a lot of people's opinions about what I do as a job. I think really my parents are like, "Oh, that's what you've been doing," and um, and actually seeing the seeing. Rami has been so great about talking about the work that we've done because um, and I say that because usually movement directors are the invisible thing Um, I'm in a lot of rehearsal rooms I've worked on a lot of shows I'm incredibly happy and, and thrilled to be able to say but you seldom receive um public approval unless it is look at that sequence in people places and things where the girls came out of the bread the bed not the bread the bed um because people can very obviously go that is a movement thing because people are moving in a way that i have not seen walking down the street um and and so it's interesting suddenly being a visible movement person um because it has and and those that video has allowed people to see that that is what it is. It's about finding a rhetoric and a way of working with an actor. Now, so for for Rami playing Freddie Mercury, my God, getting the call and saying you're going to play Freddie Mercury in a film, can you imagine? How do you t- how you know? And everyone go. Everyone's got an opinion. He is the world's greatest performer, isn't he? How are you going to do that? I mean, what he's he's incredible. Now that is an unhelpful, stilting, preventative piece of information for an actor so the reason why he chose to work with me as a movement coach rather than a choreographer per se um, is that I went into my interview and spoke about turning that thought into a practical action how do we practicalize being the world's greatest performer Um, what is it about Freddie that makes him different than the lead singer of a a band nowadays and so in immersing myself in reading everything watching everything um that i've that's ever been recorded of freddie i was able to like a history of art degree i had to find the the similarities between what is written about him and what he does and equally look in the same way that i go right well i was a a dancer when i was younger that's why sometimes like i'm sitting now in a kind of um, loose way with my knee up because I've got a flexibility in my hips because I was a dancer 
Um, in the same way that when I stand, I sometimes stand with my feet in first position. It's ingrained in my body because that's what I've done um, since I was a child. So for Freddie, he grew up in Zanzibar. He was a boxer at school. He was a long-distance runner. You learn this information and go, well, he's not a football player and he's not a rugby player. So he does solo sports that require a lot of energy, a lot of forward punch, a lot of... um, athleticism and a lot of stamina then you watch him on stage he runs he steps over microphone cords he punches the sky he um, engages with the space out in front of him all things that are learnt in his behavior in his heritage of being a human being so that's why it's helpful to go to Rami and go with all this information and go well this is this is what I see let's box Let's go for a run. Let's go to Regent's Park and look into the, the, the lake there. And can you look? And I want you to speak Bohemian Rhapsody across the lake um, and make those words come from you and into the space and share it. I want you to write down the words of the songs and tell them to me as if you're telling me, um, you're telling your father who disapproved of t- you changing your name from Farouk Balsara to Freddie Mercury. So it's about practicalising the, the information that we have for free and also finding threads that link everything together. So I think every actor that I've ever worked with has contacted me since that video from Ellen has come out because I say bubble bath down the back most days. I, I have a series of um, exercises that engage actors with um, diagonal space for when they're working in big theatres which for me is serving spaghetti now it means and and that is sort of offering your hand out flat and taking it up to the sky um, and not letting anyone eat the spaghetti taking it behind your back and then turning your arm over so that the spaghetti's still on your hand and this engages the spine and it engages people with space and um, I had to do those exercises with Rami as someone who had never been on stage or hasn't been on stage since he was in college Um, so that was the stuff that I've learnt that is important to actors and he did those and we could turn them into Freddie because Freddie's rhythm was about taking up room and um, uh, you know um, commanding an area um, yeah so all of this rhetoric is learnt, I've learnt it and I've made it up but because I've seen what actors need in from the RSC to the national to large stadium gigs and it's about turning all of this action into to things that actors can remember because it would be very there's another version where I go okay stand up straight and straighten your legs Now, when were you last told to stand up straight and straighten your legs? School. How many of us enjoyed standing up straight and straightening our legs? None of us. What people do enjoy is bubble baths. What people do enjoy is serving people food. What people do enjoy is imagining giraffes. When do you get to imagine to be a giraffe? So, do you know what I mean? That's kind of... I mean, it's... It's amazing because all of this stuff comes out of my head because I've got an imagination. But also, I remember being in ballet class and being asked to skip across the room at the Royal Ballet when I was a kid. Skip across the room. 
and I skipped and I skipped and I skipped and I was so high in the air and I remember the feeling of the the air behind my ears and I enjoyed it so much and I was told afterwards that I had too much joy okay now so that this is what I'm saying I'm going I want people to feel the joy of moving I want them to find the positivity in doing things. I've just worked with an actor recently with some, somebody that has to play, um, that they, uh, uh, well, they're playing Prince Charles in The Crown. And um, you watch videos of Prince Charles moving, you go, how, how, how are we ever going to do that? You have to practicalise the thought. He breathes in and he uh, sort of does little mannerisms where he just sort of turns his head over to the side. Now, it would be easy to go to the actor, can you do that? That's the easy thing to do. And then they don't really know why they're doing the thing that they're doing. In saying, oh, he's doing it on emotional words because he doesn't want to leave the emotion in the air. So every time Prince Charles, I'll do my awful Prince Charles impression now, but goes, well, I'm just very happy. And he'll, he'll hop over the emotional word with his action. So this is really useful for an actor because then they're looking at their text differently. And this was what was amazing to see in Rami is that he he could fly with these tools, this toolkit. And it wasn't a small toolkit. We had to do a lot because we're not just looking at Freddie on stage. We're looking at him, you know, in, in a daily life. Um, but it allowed him a freedom so that the actor still had agency. He still was enabled to do things for himself. He wasn't set. The minute you set things, joy goes. The inimitable Polly Bennett there. And this, be sure to listen to next week's episode because you're not going to want to miss it. We talked to Polly more about movement directing and setting up her company, The Monobox. Now, before we wrap up, if you are a theater professional, head on over to curtaincallonline.com and sign up for a free profile page. All you have to do is create an account with an email address, make up a cool password, and away you go. You can follow us on all the socials. That's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Not Snapchat. Yep. At Curtain Call. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast. Just get in touch with us via any of the social media platforms I just mentioned or write to me at john at curtaincallonline.com. Just thought I'd say something about the music as you can... Uh, probably notice it's changed from the last time uh well the last hundred or so episodes we sometimes bring you different music but this time it's completely different because we've had an intern with us over the past couple of months and uh he's been listening to our podcast and suggested he he brings something a little bit more upbeat to us and um so uh arthur pete uh who celebrated his birthday yesterday uh this is a birthday present thanks for writing and composing and recording this music uh you rock and i hope you're having a good time back in germany so uh, if you've enjoyed this music um uh, it's thanks to Arthur Pede. It leaves me to say a huge thank you to Polly Bennett. You uh, you can currently see her work on the big screen in Bohemian Rhapsody, as well as the Lehman Trilogy, which you'll be able to see soon in New York at the Armory, before that play comes back to London, uh, to the Wyndham's Theatre in London's West End. So um, check out everything Monobox is doing as well by heading over to their website, themonobox.co.uk. They are a phenomenal company. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Curtain Call Theater Podcast, and I will catch you all next week. Bye.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 